0: Well, good morning. It's good to be here and good to see those of you here this morning. And as we begin, we'll go ahead and uh, this is our last Sunday in January, so this will be the last Sunday uh, we look at um, Matthew sixteen, eighteen through nineteen. So as we begin, uh, we've been reviewing it every Sunday. So let's see if we can say it from memory, but. First time through, we can look down if you need to. We'll say it twice. Um, and then uh, I want to compare some some other translations of how other translations render this, and then we'll <coughs> say it again. The reference before and after. Matthew 16, 18 through 19. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Matthew 16, 18-19. Alright, let's try to say that again. Matthew 16, 18-19. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter... And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And what I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Matthew 16, 18-19. It's always interesting comparing Different translations of how they translate the same thing. I want to compare a few things. Most translations are very, very similar to what we have here um, in the King James, um, but uh, so we have like the New American Standard Bible, ESV. NIV says the gates of Hades will not overcome it; shall not prevail against it. Um, Roman Christian Standard Bible. The forces of hell, Hades, will not overpower it. Uh, The New Living Translation has an interesting way of uh, putting it. Now I say unto you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So they're trying to draw out that, that similarity between Petros and Petrach, meaning Peter and rock. Very similar words. Um, The message, I would not call the message a translation. I would call that a paraphrase. But um, it kind of illumines the the, the gist of this verse. Here's how it it puts it. And now I'm going to tell you who you, you are. Really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. So uh, really not a translation, just sort of a a rewriting of that verse, but it gives us the idea uh, that's there. Uh, Young's literal translation, I also say unto thee that thou art a rock, and upon this rock I will build my assembly, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So they're all saying the same thing, but different words. So I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then verse 19. Again, most are similar to the King James. Um, but if you want to look at a few others, um, the NET New English translation, the second part, whatever you release on earth, shall be released in heaven. King James has loosed. Um, and again, the net also tries to draw out the, the strange uh, verb form there. Um, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. The Christian Standard Bible, whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Trying to draw out that unusual verb tense there. And then uh, the message is always entertaining, so we'll go read the message again. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth. Earth and heaven. A yes on earth is yes in heaven. And no on earth is in no in heaven. And then um, I'll do Young's literal translation. Whatsoever, whatever thou mayest bind upon the earth, shall be having been bound in the heavens. And whatever thou mayest loose upon the earth, shall be having been loosed in the heavens. Kind of a very convoluted way of doing it, trying to indicate a little bit of that sense. All right, we'll read this verse one more time. hope hope those different versions didn't confuse you from the King James alright Matthew 16 18 through 19 and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose honor shall be loosed in heaven. Matthew 16, 18-19. I hope that, that will stick with you for a while. Alright, we are going back to uh, the Ten Commandments and we are going to finish up with the First Commandment. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Part 2, and this will finish it up. In India, at the college uh, where I've been teaching at, uh, we are, of course, surrounded by by Hindu temples. Uh, There are temples all around the college. Um, Pretty much anywhere you go in the area, there are temples. Um, There's a temple just down the road, temple to Ganesha. Ganesha. is an elephant god has a form of an elephant um, and it's called the, the remover of obstacles so uh, people that worship Ganesha are really um, worshipping the, the removal of obstacles and it's an elephant form because an elephant is a very strong animal and is able to remove obstacles but even though this temple is very close um, it's I, I never have the temptation to go to this temple to worship. It's it's just it's just not a problem for me. It's not a temptation for me. And that that would probably be true for, for most Christians, you know. Worshiping at these pagan temples, it's it's really not an issue for us. But the Apostle John warns us in his first epistle that we as believers still need to guard against idolatry. But idolatry can take different forms. First John 5, 20, 21, guard yourself from idols. Now, now last week we, we took a, a very close look at um, the first commandment. We um, uh, explained to you, The the meaning of this first commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. We talked about the prohibition and and how negation, how negative commands, prohibitions work in Hebrew. There's a soft way to say it, a strong way to say it, and the Ten Commandments are given in this very strong imperative form. You shall never, ever do these things then we looked at that command no other gods and we define what what is a god and what what's happening in this verse god is not prohibiting he's not acknowledging when he says no you shall have no other gods before him he's not acknowledging the existence of other deities scripture is very very clear there is no deity there is only one deity Yahweh God. I am Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, your God. But what he is prohibiting is is we have things that we put in the place of God. We put in God's spot. You shall have no other gods. You shall have not put anything else in the place that belongs to me alone. We turn other things into our God. We replace Jehovah God, Yahweh God with something else. And so we define a God as something that we believe meets our needs, and which we therefore love and trust. And so someone who worships worships Ganesha, they believe that, that removing obstacles meets their need, and they love and trust that rather than the one true god and in order to remove their obstacles they worship this this so-called god that they call ganesha and a god can be anything anything that you believe meets your needs and which you love and trust in place of yahweh god that becomes your god and so serving False gods serving other gods can take the form of idolatry, worshipping um, Lakshmi or Ganesha, these um, Indian gods, or Hathor, or Isis, um, Amun-Ra, or any other gods that are that are worshipped today. But things and concepts, that's where it becomes a problem for believers. These things can become gods, other gods, for believers. We we worship these these concepts and these ideas that, that were formerly ascribed to uh, these gods, such as love and fertility, or wisdom, or luck, or healing that were ascribed to other gods. And so today I want to I want to look at more of application of, of the, the, the first command here. A God is something that we believe meets our needs and which we therefore love and trust. Or J.I. Packer put it another way. A God is anything, he says, anything that anyone allows to run his life becomes his God. Who or what is running your life? And if it's that that's not Yahweh God, whatever it is that's running your life, that has become another God, and that's a violation commandment. As we get into this, I first want to look at the consequences of breaking the first commandment. God is very, very clear about what he would do if the Israelites violated his command to have no other gods. God promised to destroy the Israelites if they broke that first commandment. Very clear. Deuteronomy 7, verse 4 talks about the Canaanites who are in the land. The Israelites, leave the Canaanites in the land. They will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And what will God do? So that the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. It says, if you go and serve other gods, God will be angry and will destroy you. Uh, Joshua 23, 16. When you have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. God promised that if they went to serve other gods, God would destroy them. And specifically, God promised to send natural disasters such as famine upon them. Deuteronomy 11, 16 and 17. If your heart is deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them... Then the Lord's anger will be aroused and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no produce and you will perish quickly from the land. And very often, giving people over to idolatry is, is going to be God's final judgment on them. Deuteronomy 28, 36. The Lord eventually will bring against you a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you will serve other gods, wood and stone. God will finally deliver deliver them over into captivity, and he will allow them to continue on in their their idolatry. Now, King Solomon was the the greatest king that Israel ever had, but perhaps second only to, to David, King David. But King Solomon really fell into terrible sins, and Solomon is an example of a person who violated this first commandment and brought great trouble and hardship upon himself. God warned Solomon about serving other king, serving other gods in First Kings nine verse six. Warned him if you go and serve other gods, then I will, I will judge Israel. And Solomon testifies to his own own experience of following after other gods in in the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 2 of uh, of Ecclesiastes really is a a catalog of these different gods that he pursued. Solomon, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1, Solomon served the god of pleasure. He said, come now, I will test you with mirth, enjoy pleasure. He served the God of wine, verse 3. I searched my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine. What is a God? A God is something that we believe meets our needs and which we therefore love and trust. And Solomon was thinking, pleasure will meet my needs. Wine is going to meet my needs. He served the God of wealth and achievement, Ecclesiastes 2, verses 4 through 8. I made my works great, I gathered for myself silver and gold. Solomon served the goddess of sex. Verse eight, I acquired the delights of men, many concubines. He served the God of fame, Ecclesiastes 2.9. I became great and excelled more and more. He served the God of wisdom. Verse 12, I turned myself to consider wisdom. And the madness and folly, but all these things he, he he discovered that it was vanity. It was this this breath. It was just a vapor that offered him no satisfaction. Elsewhere says he, we we see that he served the god of power, gathering chariots and horsemen. But Solomon also served these these physical idol gods. He served Ashtoreth, which was the goddess of sexual love. Chemosh, this was a god of of military victory who required human sacrifice. He served the god uh, Milcom. He served the god Moloch, who also required human sacrifice. But in the end, Solomon was empty and unsatisfied with all of these false gods and these other gods of pleasure of sex, of fame, of wealth that he worshipped. And he came to hate life, Solomon two uh, Ecclesiastes two seventeen. Therefore I hated life. Because of all all the work that was done under the sun was distressing me, for all his vanity and grasping for them. And that is what comes of serving other gods we find its it's emptiness and vanity grasping after a vapor. So God promised to destroy the Israelites when they went and served other gods. Now that seems pretty extreme. Why would God bring such horrible disaster for violating this command? Well, it's not necessarily retribution It's not necessarily punishment for their wrongdoing. But God would do these things to humble the Israelites so that they would turn from that idolatry. And you see this really in Jeremiah explains this. Jeremiah chapter 44. And Jeremiah talks about this calamity. You've seen the calamity that I've brought On Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah, God promised to bring that calamity on them when they turned to serve other gods. These cities are a desolation because of their wickedness when they went to burn incense and to serve other gods whom they did not know. And in verse 10 of Jeremiah 44, he explains... Why he does this? He wants to humble themselves. Even though I brought this disaster on them, they have not been humbled to this day, nor have they feared. They have not walked in my law or in my statutes that I set before you and your fathers. God was bringing this disaster on them to humble them so that they would turn from these false gods, these other gods. To Yahweh God alone. That is the reason that God brings this judgment on them for their, their idolatry. It's a discipline to correct their disobedience. Now, I'm not saying that God is going to bring on you or on us disaster like he did to the Israelites for, for Sodom. But what, what, what this teaches us is that the God is very serious about the sin of serving other gods. He, he may bring hardship, difficult circumstances in our lives that are intended to turn us from these gods and from these idols in our lives. And what we need to do is pay attention to what God is doing in our lives. God may be wanting to get your attention So these are the consequences that God talks about for breaking this commandment to have no other gods before him. So how do we obey this first command? How do we obey the command to have no other gods before the one true God? Now, each of these ten commandments, we mentioned last week how they all have a negative aspect to them, and a positive aspect to them. And the negative here is clearly stated, you shall have no other gods before me, but the positive sign is you must worship and adore Yahweh as the one and only true God. So how do we do this? Well, there are at least, first of all, three things that we need to acknowledge about God. And the first thing, we need to accept and acknowledge Yahweh's absolute uniqueness and authority. And there are are several, three things, specifically, that, that, that he is unique, that he is exclusive about. Yahweh is unique in that he alone is God. This is repeated over and over. And we're going to be actually looking at that as our as our second main subpoint here. He is unique in that he alone is eternal. He is the only one who has never had a beginning, and he never has an ending. He has always existed. He is eternal. And we kind of see this in in the next commandment. about you shall have you shall not make any graven images and in the explanation of this uh, god talks about how he is a jealous god he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but he also works with showing mercy to thousands that's the idea is the thousandth generation god is continues to exist he has no he has no ending but it's very explicit in Deuteronomy thirty three twenty seven, where God calls himself the eternal God. The eternal God is your refuge. This is not true of anyone or anything else. All that we see is temporal, but Yahweh God is the only thing, the only one who is eternal. He is unique in that way. And the third way that he is unique is that he alone is the creator of all. And we see this down in the fourth commandment, in verse 11 of Deuteronomy 20. God talks about, this is about the Sabbath day, the keeping it holy, and God talks about how then six days the Lord Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, he made the sea, he made everything that is in them. That's everything. The heavens, the earth, and everything that's in them. No other being can make such a claim as God. God is unique in this way. So how do we obey this first command? To have no other gods before. Well, we need to acknowledge that God alone, that he alone, that Yahweh alone is God, that he is the only God. We need to acknowledge that he is, he alone is eternal, and we need to acknowledge that he alone is the creator of everything. But the second thing we need to acknowledge and accept about God, I want to fill out this idea of him being the only God. He is the only God. And scripture is abundantly clear on this point. There is no other deity. There is no one else and nothing else that should command our allegiance. And The prophet Isaiah is is abundantly clear, very explicit on this point. Isaiah, particularly chapter 45 of Isaiah, over and over and over and over again, he repeats this point. Isaiah 45, verse 5. I am Yahweh, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Verse 6, I am Yahweh, and there is no other. Verse 18, I am Yahweh, and there is none else. Verse 21, there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a savior. There is none except me. Verse 21, there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a savior. Verse 21, I am God, and there is no other. Chapter 46, verse 9, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. Over and over and over again, he says, I am God. There is no one else. Period. Elsewhere in Psalms, elsewhere in Isaiah, we have this point reiterated that Yahweh alone is God. We need to acknowledge that Yahweh is the only God, the only deity. And elsewhere in Isaiah, Isaiah points out the folly of believing that a handmade idol can do anything. Yahweh is the only God. Why are you worshipping these handmade idols? They are impotent. They are deaf. They are dumb. They are unable to, to accomplish anything. Yahweh God is the only God who can predict the future. No other false so-called God can do that. So if we are going to have no other gods, we must accept that Yahweh God is unique and exclusive. And second of all, we must accept that he is God alone. And thirdly, we need to acknowledge we need to remove all other gods from our lives. So, what are your gods? Let's recall our definition of a god. What is a god? What is another god? A god is something that we believe meets our needs and which we therefore love and trust. Or anything that anyone allows to run his life becomes his God. And so there are two questions we can ask to help us to discover what our gods are. Two tests for idolatry in this form. First question is, what do you love? What do you love? A false god can be any good thing. A false god can be a good thing but it becomes a bad thing when we focus on that to the exclusion of God. You may love good things, but when you love those more than you love God, then it has become another God. What do you desire? Or throughout the day when you have downtime or a break, What do you think about during those times? How do you spend your money? These are indications to identify what we love, really. How do you spend your time? What makes you excited? What do you get excited about? What makes you happy? When we identify these things, this helps us to understand what what we are loving. Now, maybe sports. Sports is a good thing. Playing sports, watching sports, having sports teams. But is that what you focus on? Or perhaps recreation, your recreational time. Or maybe you have some sort of a hobby. Or some personal interest that you have. Or an appetite for finer things. Fine food. Or your career. Or a job or maybe you're focused on on health and fitness, being looking good, being trim, looking nice, dressing well, being fashionable or all the, all these things can be good things, not a problem with these things, but is this what makes you happy? Is this something that that you believe meets your needs, that gives you fulfillment? That you love and trust. We can enjoy these things as, as God-given pleasures of life. Ecclesiastes talks about this. Enjoy this life. But they become our gods when they replace Yahweh God as the object of our ultimate affection. They become our gods when we look to these things for giving us happiness and fulfillment in life rather than the one true God. So how do we identify these false gods in our lives? Well first we need what do you love? What gives you happiness, joy, pleasure? What do you focus on and think about? Well second, what do you trust? Where do you what do you turn to in times of, of trouble? Or in times of loneliness? Or in times of discouragement? Some people turn to, some people have addictions, drugs, sex, or pornography, or alcohol. Or some people turn to shopping, go on a shopping spree, oh, that'll make me happy, I mean, forget about all my problems and troubles. Or maybe you just, you just throw yourself into your job, okay, just forget about my difficulties. Or you trust on your insurance policy. Well, my insurance will take care of it. Or a pension plan. Well, pension plan will take care of it. Or maybe you look to government. Yes, they'll, they'll take care of the problems. Or maybe you look to your family. Your family will bail you out. Or your social position, your, your social status. Or science will figure this out. Science has all the answers. Or medicine. I'll just take a lot of medicine to heal me. Or money. Just trust on the money. Or or power. Because some of these some of these things are good things. Some of these are definitely bad. Addictions are definitely wrong things. Um, medicine. We can use medicine. We can be thankful for science. But these are not our ultimate trust. These are not the things that we ultimately trust in. We trust in the God who created the laws of science. The God who allowed us to create medicines that help us. We trust in the God who gives us finances to use wisely. It's not wrong to use these things. We can use these things that are legitimately good. But the problem comes when we trust the things rather than the God who gives us the things. And when we trust in the things, that that has become, they have now become another God. It has taken the place and the position that Yahweh God alone deserves. And all these things are useless without the God who allows them to work. Let me give you an illustration from the life of, of Hudson Taylor. Of course, Hudson Taylor, a uh, very famous missionary to China, started China in the mission, Inland mission and he died in 1905. But when Hudson Taylor was a very young man on his way to China for the first time, the ship he was in encountered this terrific huge storm, and everyone on the ship, uh, they they were afraid the ship was going down, was going to sink. And so everyone on the ship, almost everyone, put on their life jackets in case the ship went down, they would stay afloat. But Hudson Taylor, I said almost everyone put their life jackets on. Hudson Taylor would not put on a life jacket. Taylor felt that he couldn't use a life jacket. He felt that if he put on a life jacket, he would not be trusting God. He thought that that would be wrong, that that would be sinful for him to use a life jacket. As if it would be another God, that he would be trusting the life jacket rather than God. Well, later on in life, when Taylor was more mature, he admit, admitted that this was the wrong approach. That was not, not the best thing for him to do. God does use means. God does use life jackets to save people. It would not be, It's not a lack of trust in God to use a life jacket to keep you afloat when a boat is going to sink. It's simply using what God has provided to preserve life. It's a life preserver. And this is what Taylor wrote later as he was reflecting on that. The use of means, a life jacket, a pension plan, insurance, money, the use of means ought not to lessen our faith in God, and our faith in god ought not to hinder whatever means he has given us for the accomplishment of his purposes to me it would appear presumptuous and wrong to neglect the use of those measures which he himself has put within our reach as to neglect to take daily food and to suppose that life and health might be maintained by prayer alone god has given us means to to accomplish his purposes. But the problem comes when we focus on the means alone, when we focus on those things rather than the God who has given us those things. When you look to other things for security and safety rather than to God, those things have become a false god. When you trust them to give you protection and fulfillment in your life, you will find only this bitter emptiness and dissatisfaction, like Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. There's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves, but only God is the one who can give you fulfillment. We were created for him. And so when we look and when we live for other things rather than for God, we are not fulfilling the purpose for which we were created. Brings us back to the first first catechism. What is the chief end of man? And the answer is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We were created to enjoy who? Who were we created to enjoy? Who? God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Not these other things. And when we try to find our enjoyment and fulfillment in other things, we are not living out the chief end for which we are created. Innately created. This is part of our being, which is why nothing else can truly satisfy the Lord for them. Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before you. This verse teaches us that we must not worship any other god but Yahweh. Exodus 20, verse 2. I am Yahweh, your God. We must not worship any other God but Yahweh, who is the only true God. And a God can be anything, anything that you turn to rather than the one true God. This is the first and the very, very foundational commandment. There are, you shall have no other gods before Yahweh. Yahweh demands our complete, our total and single devotion. He does not share worship with any other thing. I hope that helps you as you as you think through the implications of this first commandment. Let's close it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for what we learn from this first commandment. We pray that that our eyes and our focus would be on you alone. We pray that we would not that we would not trust in other things we thank you for the means that you have given us the enjoyments of life but we pray that our focus would be on you who has given these enjoyments and on you who has given us these means for our use we pray that we would glorify you and enjoy you forever and fulfill the purpose for which we were created. We pray these things in Jesus' name.